Hey guys, so are you, are you eating? You might be wondering why I'm eating during a happy hour, but it's also sometimes maybe an hors d'oeuvre hour. And specifically, I'm eating meatballs and tomato what? sauce. And I'm eating, I'm eating meatballs and tomato sauce because last week I listened to our podcast where we talk about young leaders under the age of 45 in Congress. And one of them was doing something revolving around a guy named Mr. Tomato. So oh. I, I thought okay. it'd be in honor of this great new piece of knowledge. I would start the show by eating meatballs tomato and sauce. tomato sauce. This is Political Playlist Happy Hour. We were really Welcome happy. to Political, Political Playlist. Playlist. All right, are we ready, guys? Happy Hour. Happy, happy Hour. hour. <laughs> that up so oh bad. God. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Political Playlist Happy Hour. I'm the meatball in training, Michael Kristoff. Meatball Head Michael. I'm Anna mm-hmm. Muskie Goldwyn. And I'm Anna Meatball Muskie Goldwyn. Anna Meatball Goldwyn. <laughs> Uh, and I'm Anthony Barquette. I'm married to the heiress of Mr. Tomato. <laughs> I love they already it. got married. It's it. been one week. Anthony yeah. found her. The wedding happened. Yeah. Well, I got to say, I'm still reeling from Mr. Tomato. From the tomato news. I'm going to double down on this sort of Italian sauce vibe right now because I want to tell you what's on my mind. Okay. It has nothing to do with politics and Great. yet kind of maybe everything. I'm talking. Tommy Chicken Cutlet DeVito. Do you guys know who Tommy DeVito is? Is he related to Danny DeVito? Nope. He no is the new sensation, undrafted, third-string Italian-American quarterback for the New York Giants. This guy just won his third game as the starting quarterback. The cover of the New York Post said, a cutlet above. So here mm. is Wait, what is incredible. they call him Cutlet? Yeah. Okay. So this guy, I said, Italian-American, third-string quarterback, was never supposed to play. Giants are two and seven. They're terrible. Their first two quarterbacks go down for injury. This guy goes in, wins back-to-back games. All of a sudden, New York loves this guy. He then wins a third game, but that's not the best part of this. The best part is this guy still lives at home with his parents. <laughs> and when asked about this, he was like, my mom cooks and does my laundry. Like, oh, what's not my God? Like? This Amazing. guy has an agent. His agent has been making the headlines, too, because the agent is this fellow Italian dude from New Jersey who dresses in black pinstripe suits oh and God. black fedoras and literally is on the sideline looking like a young Vito Corleone. I mean, wow. this guy grew up in New Jersey. It's fucking amazing. I feel like, so, Michael, like you that. secretly want to be yeah. Italian. I do. Well, I am like you half Italian. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I but wouldn't get, I wouldn't, I don't get Italian. Of the Mayflower's Italian. The, the Mayflower. Mayflower. Yes. Italian. Yeah, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the one Italian who was on the Mayflower. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, this guy, he, I'm rooting for him. He's got the entire Giants fan. I'm not even really a Giants fan. And, you know, this guy is like now the talk of New York. And I think it's so great. That's yeah. really funny. Anthony, what's on your mind? I saw a tweet from one of our politicians. Maxwell oh. Frost. Wait, we're already oh, going to tweet? No, I know. Well, this was just on my mind because it was just one line. And I was like, that's gross. What? He just oh. tweeted, 85% of men don't wash their hands in restrooms. And Ooh. like, no, no. Um, you know, no that was the whole tweet. To it. That was the whole oh. tweet. And I was like, 
Well, one, Tara, that's gross. And I travel, I'm always traveling and I feel like I see people in restrooms do that all the time. I'm like, oh my God. come on. I'm sure women are just as bad. Wow. I'm, I no. would say women probably wash their hands more. Yeah, Adam and Eve, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it all comes down to Adam and Eve. That's it. All right. Well, let's get on that news. note, let's get well, to the news. What the heck's going on in the world? A, a lot, obviously. What has stood out to you guys? The thing that I wanted to bring up today is mm-hmm. a piece of news that I would assume most people listening to this have heard something about. There was a 31-year-old woman in Texas who... Mm-hmm contacted the Center for Reproductive Rights because she had she was pregnant and she found out that her baby had a condition that would almost certainly guarantee it would not survive. And on top of that, the condition also made it very unlike it made it very likely that the mother would Mm -hmm. suffer complications that would leave her unable to have children in the future if she carried the baby to term. And so she called the Center for Reproductive Rights to try to figure out a way to legally get access to abortion in Texas, which obviously has very restrictive abortion laws. The initial district court ruled in her favor, and it seemed that she was going to be allowed to get this emergency abortion. She was 20 weeks pregnant, just for everyone's reference point. And then the attorney general of Texas, Ken Paxton, stepped in. And said, I want this case to go to the Texas Supreme Court. And so they brought it to the Texas Supreme Court, which is very conservative. And then they reversed that district judge's decision and then said that she was not allowed to get an emergency abortion. Obviously, something like this is time is of the essence. So she actually left the state and went to go get an emergency abortion elsewhere. And it has understandably not been released where she went to do that. But but yeah, California, baby. So this is just, you know, another moment in this abortion debate that I think is a very important. Also, I just think looks like really bad for Republicans. Like, yeah, like this is the kind of thing where I feel like a Nancy Mace should be like, this is the woman who should get this is the exception. Right. right? Like, yes. The reason the Texas Supreme Court said, oh, doesn't qualify is because her life is not in danger. But her fertility is in danger. The baby is not going to survive. And her well-being is in danger because <clears throat> something could happen. She's already been to the hospital a couple of times with complications. So so it just, I mean, we've talked about this before. And I, I, I wanted to kind of just bring this up as news because I think we know how all of our politicians feel about this issue. We don't need to kind of be debating it in that sense. And look, I very much am appreciative for people like Nancy Mace or Nikki Haley, Republicans who are trying to find some nuance within this issue. I will, you know, never be shy in saying that I am very pro-choice. And I feel like this woman's story explains why, you know, that like her yeah. case has been used as sort of this example in Texas. And it's like it's her life, you know, and well, and I guess I, I think a couple things to point out, like obviously she was able to afford or somehow you know, got right. a a certain level of legal counsel to fight this. She had means to then travel and go have this done. She had the means or the at least the healthcare support to first diagnose mm-hmm. all this. So, you know, I think this is look at what somebody with relative means has to do. And then imagine 
what happens then with someone to someone without those means, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think I'm always like amazed that more folks don't really stand up or, or bring up that issue of like, for every one person you hear about, oh, well, just go to another state. It's like there are thousands, I imagine, that just that's not an option, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that as as we've talked about a lot on this podcast and and certainly plenty of politicians have have mentioned this, that, you know, the idea of just this sort of government interference seems so antithetical to. First of all, the Republican Party, but but just what a good functioning government, in my view, looks like. I agree. It's not a good look, frankly. No. I think that, you know, this is like there that tweet you had a while ago from J.D. Vance, senator from Ohio, saying like, you know, people don't trust the Republican Party. Like they don't understand what pro-life really means, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, this is why, because yeah. this story, like, this is a woman who's incredibly sympathetic. Her situation is incredibly sympathetic. And instead of just like letting that court stand, that court ruling stand, Ken Paxton went after her to make an example out of it. And it just feels like I don't, it feels so out of touch. And so, I mean, frankly, it just feels very like handmaid's tale to me. But um, yeah. Well, speaking of Mr. Vance, I want to read you mm. a quote from him. And then I want to give you a, a tweet. He, 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 he's, I have two Tweets, are we moving into all tw- the okay, same this thing. is a very quick segue okay. but this is obviously Thank this is obviously jd vance he says Zelensky comes to town and demands that the taxpayer give him another 61 billion and by the way if you want to secure your border first you are actually a quote putin puppet end quote i think it's a disgrace i think it's grotesque so jd vance has been rattling the anti-zelinsky saber the last number of days a number of Republicans have come out and called a lot of what he's saying utter bullshit, including Tom Tillis. That was a quote. And so this is all on the heels of today as of time of recording. This is Tuesday the 12th. And Zelensky met with congressional Senate leaders and congressional leaders and the White House. And I want to read you a quote here. This is my tweet. If Ukraine falls and fails, Putin will not stop at Ukraine's borders. Partner and NATO countries could be threatened. The U.S. also has 100,000 troops in Europe that could be threatened. I feel like, is it maybe a Republican? Feels like a Democrat. It's a Democrat. Yeah. I mean, it's oh, so no. general. Oh, good call. Jason Crow. Ah, that was my hint. That was good. That was good. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. That's a good uh, it, was, it was our guy, Jason Crow. So I think what's so interesting here is basically what what's going down on this is that there is a huge aid package that was voted down. And the reason it was voted down was because the Biden administration and Democrats were proposing this huge uh, funding aid bill to both Ukraine and Israel. And they had given concessions to to beefing up border security and immigration stuff to the tune of thirteen point six billion dollars. And so Republicans have been the holdout on this because they have been demanding for huge. They they are not going to move on Ukraine aid until 
they address the border. And so they've been asking for the resuming of wall construction, increased pay to border agents, complete reform on our asylum laws, and basically denying asylum seekers who enter through another country. So the president, Biden, has actually agreed to a lot of this. He's agreed to wall construction. He's agreed to increasing pay to agents, all again, to the tune of $13.6 billion. And a lot of Republicans in the Senate are actually thinking this is progress. And really what is holding this up are House Republicans. And so they are the ones who are saying we are not going to sign off on this unless the asylum restrictions and the pullback on asylum laws are such that it gives the executive branch basically the ability to shut down the border, right? And what they're obviously trying to do is they're trying to set up this idea for a, a Trump president again to give them, give him the power to literally hit off on the border. But I think what's notable about this is today we saw President Zelensky walking and photographed with Mitch McConnell, Chuck Schumer, Hakeem Jeffries, and not Mike Johnson. Interesting. So I guess my question to you is, it seems like this certain number of House, of far-right House Republicans who are so afraid to piss off Trump and then face a primary challenger are effectively holding up this entire thing. Because a lot of Republicans have said, a lot of Senate Republicans have said, yeah, I like I would support this, but it can't get through the House. So my question to you is, do you, what do you think? How do you think they get a deal on this? Like what kind of border concessions do you think the administration is going to have to make on this? And, and the part two of that is everything they've asked on border security, the Democrats have agreed to meet. It's immigration policy mm -hmm. and reform which are often these two conflated things we've talked about, is, is where there's a big difference. Make Mexico pay for it. Okay. I was waiting okay. for the joke. I was waiting for the joke. <laughs> Thank you, I Donald. saw you smirch, Anna, like right before. Well, because I you feel like it. Michael literally just went on like a journey of like. That was a like journey in Mexico. Yeah. He just went on like a full. Uh, Mike Johnson. Yeah. I mean, the Mike Johnson thing is not surprising, but also surprising, I guess. Yeah. I think that I don't even know. I mean, I think there's maybe a possibility where we have to reduce the amount of funding we're trying to send Ukraine and they make a deal that way of like, mm -hmm. OK, we'll send this portion of it now and maybe they can get Republicans to agree on some of that. But, you know, I think Republicans are going to run on immigration next year. And so. Right in some weird way, it almost like benefits them if if nothing happens on immigration before totally. the election. So mm -hmm. I think that maybe there will be some sort of like expiration date on this where they will have made their point and then they'll finally agree and then they can use it as a campaign tactic of like, oh, and the Democrats rejected, you know, immigration reform last year. Or something like that. Yeah. So maybe they're just holding on to it long enough for it to stay relevant for next year. I just always love with our government, though, it's on both sides. You know, they're like, we have no money left to give. And I then know. All of a sudden, like, 
something happens. They're like, we actually found 69 billion somewhere. <laughs> right. So, you know, like, right. you're like, wait, what? Yeah. I thought like you guys <laughs> couldn't pay to like clean the air or something. Totally. Or, you know, education, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Or that was like, uh, there was like a meme that was, it was like when funny. they were talking about NASA's like space missions and stuff. And it yeah. was like some insane tweet about Nat, like NASA, you know, sends blah, blah, blah to Mars and whatever. And the the meme was like someone tweeted, we just want free college. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like, yeah, like immigration is just so tough. I, it's like there's no easy answer here. I will say, though, recently, for those of you who don't know, I live in Denver and there were you immigrated and, to Denver. It looked like a lot of like migrants were dropped off in downtown really? wow and there was a they whole were thing like about that scattered and were... over the streets like begging for money and like mm. following people and it was just honestly so it was sad it was really sad and like i was walking f- from like lunch and i i got stopped by like five different ones and it Whoa. was wow. a little overwhelming to be honest i actually heard something about denver because the mayor i think came out and said you know like we're a democratic city, whatever, but like we want to make it clear that we're not a sanctuary city because to have migrants coming here when it's about to be winter is going to be very dangerous. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's breezing. I think that that, well, yeah. I was just going to say, you know, going back to the war in Ukraine and this de- de- debate over immigration and, you know, what it all means. I, we've said this before. And I think the thing that, a lot of politicians continue to make, including Republicans who are for who are, who are staunchly for for Ukraine and, and military aid support there is that this isn't a blank check for a country mm-hmm. fighting. a war, Right. And, and people continue to fail to grasp this notion that this is literally democracy on the battlefield, similar to people say democracy is going to be yet again on the ballot in 2024. Mm -hmm. And what they mean by that is that literally every NATO country and then some, we have over 50 countries that have backed Ukraine financially in, in this, in, in this war. And this is a show of how the Western world and, and democratic countries are going to stand up to a dictator like Putin. And subsequently it's going to dictate how we respond when, not if, when China makes a move on taking Taiwan. And so, you know, this notion that, you know, these these legislators are saying, well, we need to fix our borders first and then we can worry about others. It's like the challenge with governing and the challenge with leadership is that you have to do both things at the same time. You have to walk and chew gum. And the issues at the border are are enormous and challenging. And no, you know, when the Republicans were in charge of the House, the Senate and the White House, they didn't do anything. And when the Democrats had control of the House, the Senate and the White House, they didn't do anything. So this is a problem that has been exacerbated over decades. And yet the notion that oh, somehow nothing in the world can happen until we solve this is failing the American people on a national security level, but also on a governance level, because that is not how governing in 2023 works. Well, that kind of goes well into my tweet. So, because it, it, it uses on borders. 
And do you want a meatball? You, do you want a meatball before you I start? do want a meatball, but I don't think screen. you'll get these, but now I, I think you will. Ooh, so, all right. Oh, yeah, you taxed it earlier. You're like, no one's going to get my no one. It, men get it, men it mentions the state, so I'll mention that's the such state. A, that's such a George Santos thing of you to say. Thank, oh, Did you guys please. see that George Santos now makes more money on... Okay, on, can uh, we believe anything he what's, says? What's the... Oh. the Cameo? Cameo. Cameo than yeah, he did in Congress. By the way, are you excited for your upcoming wedding gift from Anthony Oh, my and God. <laughs> Anna, <laughs> you look fabulous. <laughs> you, guys, you guys saw that... Um, What's his name? The Senator... Menendez? Like, no, no, no. They he did it. Fetterman did it, so he had to talk about like Menendez oh, for wow. and then he didn't realize that that was that. He's like, "Hey, stay in there, Bob. Like you're doing great." Oh my god! Oh, that's so funny. funny. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now into okay. something fun. Not funny. Okay. Fentanyl poisonings have devastated communities across the country, including ours in Southeast Michigan. Last year alone, Michigan lost 3,000 people to drug deaths. We must secure the border to stop the free flow of fentanyl, equip law enforcement with the tools to fight the cartels and drug traffickers, help our neighbors overcome drug addiction, and hold this administration accountable for doing nothing to secure our borders. I am proud to champion the Freed Act, which will help fight fentanyl. The Michigan Republican. Um, yeah. Oh, man, this is tough. It's a new one. It's a new one. Republican. Yeah, it's a new one. Oh, I I know it, but I his name is extremely basic. Extremely basic. He has two two first has, names. Yeah. Have we talked about him before? John James. Yeah, John yep. James. Uh, uh, yes, I yes, never would have yes, gotten yes, it. Yes. I cheated. Yep. I cheated. I cheated. Wow. John James. Um, wow. So the Freed Act is the fentanyl reduction ingrained by economic deterrent act god they okay. really stretch those titles don't prefer they? For, and he's also teaming up with Brittany patterson uh, peterson of colorado democrat a democrat huh? yeah okay so it's basically this basically this act would expand sanctions or would allow federal authorities to have sanctions on facilitators of fentanyl traffickers so you could basically freeze people's accounts that have any connection in foreign countries like China, India, Mexico. And uh, yeah, it basically provides the U.S. Department of Treasury with greater authority to like, you know, show if there's money laundering going on relating to the illicit fentanyl and narcotic financing. Wow. It's interesting. So, so he's framing it also, though, as like a border security issue, but it is a bipartisan bill. Mm. And I find that interesting because I think like, you know, Democrats probably wouldn't frame it like that. I mean, I think we can all understand that obviously these are entering through our borders. Yeah. In some respect. Well, but 80 percent, 90. What is it? 80 percent of fentanyl comes high through, 80s uh, legal legal entry. But no, I just think that that's interesting that it is a bipartisan bill and he's not he's not focusing on the bipartisan part of it. He's focusing on. The yeah. border security part of it, which is yeah. just interesting well, and frankly so a little. Here's what here's what's interesting about John. He's the first black Republican elected to Congress in Michigan, and he's a West Point graduate and a, an Iraq uh, veteran. And prior to Congress, and by the way, I'm not reading off any notes here. This mm -hmm. is just <laughs> off the cuff. Wow, he joined his father's global security supply chain management service company 
so he James knows a bit Luke about global supply chain. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that well, is, yeah, I mean, I, that's the, that's actually one of the things that they said Biden talked about with President Xi was about yeah. limiting, you know, like cracking down because all of the ingredients come from China and then typically make their way to Mexico and then eventually here. Yeah. yeah. I, the reason why I wanted to bring this up too was I felt like last time around this time last year, you know, we were just getting into the holidays and fentanyl was a massive issue. Mm-hmm. Right now, I haven't really heard much about it. Right. And, you know, like I think that's probably due in part to the media. But, you know, it's just like we're coming in the holidays. You know, you're still hearing that there's tons of over- overdoses happening. And so hopefully, you know, people that doesn't happen to them over the holidays. Well, it's kind of an interesting thing. Like, actually, this is what my tweet is about. We're really like oh, wow. to each other today. But, but, but before I get to my tweet, one thing I wanted to say about that, Anthony, is that I feel like fentanyl or sort of like opioid epidemic in general, it's a little bit frustrating because I don't think it's going to be a campaign issue because it's something that Republicans and Democrats widely agree on. And I think the way that we will see it as a campaign issue is in the way that Representative James framed this tweet of like, it's about border security, right? Or, you know, that it's it's not just going to be like, how can we work together and solve this problem that we all agree is a problem? It's going to be kind of skewed into however the politician wants to talk about it. And I think that's why people don't like politics, because we like selectively focus on what is most divisive and what is most, you know, kind of raises the most money, frankly. And I think that everyone agrees the opioid crisis is a crisis. And it seems by your example that people want to work together on it, which is great. But it's a little bit of a shame that it's not going to be a big campaign issue, I don't think, unless it relates to the border. But it does literally go perfectly into my tweet, which I will. Good. Let's do it. We're all like really on the same wavelength today. Okay. The number of deaths in blank state has increased by 600 percent since 2019 Hmm. requiring electronic prescriptions for controlled substances is vital to combat the opioid epidemic enhance patient safety and defer deter fraud that's hard it's very general yeah that is general if i tell you the state you're gonna know immediately who was a big darn it was a state i'm gonna take us oh oklahoma yeah Is, is that what you're gonna say yeah Oh, Oklahoma. Oh, is it yeah, Mark yeah, Mullins? That is who it is. Oh my God, he's forty-six. Yeah, but he's yeah, still, he's, he's going. He's going he off. Ages he's going, out. Yeah. He's going off. He's going off. Yeah. So this is the last time you'll hear about Mr. Mark Wayne from us. But I picked him because I thought, you know, we kind of did him dirty because he did himself a little bit dirty by challenging someone to a fight on the Senate dirty. floor. <laughs> but um, we're gonna make up for it because we like. Mark. But. We're going to make up for it because I think that he makes a very good point in this tweet. And I wanted to I picked this tweet because it was one of those things where like I read it and I was like, I like I wonder what the argument is around this. So what he's talking about basically is probably very familiar to both of you because both of you live in states that require electronic prescription. Electronic prescription basically means that your doctor does not write your prescription down on a piece of paper. They call it into a pharmacy. And it is submitted electronically. So oh. the reason I wanted to talk about this was I found it really interesting. Most of us are already saying goodbye to paper prescriptions because we have state mandates to different degrees. Some states like California, they say every prescription has to be electronic. Some other states, they say 
only schedule two to five controlled substances have to be put on electronically. Other prescriptions that are less harmful can be put on, you know, a piece of paper. But so what Mark Wayne is talking about here is that there are there's not a federal mandate for electronic prescriptions. And so my first reaction was like, why? Hmm. Because it seems like this obviously should be the way to go. And what he is talking about is important. It's related to the opioid crisis in the sense that people often who are getting prescriptions from illicit doctors or pill mills or anything like that are getting them on paper. So that's the argument for. These also, are the states- I, I would I would just add to that quickly. If you've ever seen a doctor scribble their signature like, on a prescription notepad, then you know that if you just stole the notepad, yeah, you literally totally. could prescribe yourself anything you wanted. Anything. 100%. Yeah. So yeah, the on. states that currently do not have an existing e-prescription law are Alaska, Alabama, Alaska, Georgia, Louisiana, Michigan, Missouri, Montana, New Jersey, North Dakota, South Dakota, West Virginia, Oregon, Wisconsin, and Vermont. So the NIH says that this is an important part of the nation's push to enhance safety around prescription drugs. Now, the I was curious. I was like, what is the argument against this? Right. This seems yeah. obviously like it should be something that's happening. Yeah. So what is the argument against 80 percent of primary care physicians voice concern about the lack of financial support to create the new electronic prescribing systems because hmm. the new technology requires training and then it requires support for the upkeep and troubleshooting of the software as it continues. Hmm. So for a small private practice of 10 doctors, 10 psychiatrists who are prescribing, you know, a lot of drugs. The total cost of implementing the system was $42,000 and every year it will cost $14,000. So if you're a small practice, that's not nothing. Why does it cost that much? It's the it's the software. It's so so for these small practices, basically, they're saying we don't have the money to implement yeah. these systems, which, you know, I understand. Yeah. And so this is my question about this is like Mark Wayne is talking about, OK, this needs to be across the board because of the opioid crisis. I agree 100 percent. Mark Wayne is also a very conservative Republican, which means that he does not always want to vote in favor of increasing government spending. However, mm. what it seems like we need in a bill that includes a federal mandate is government funding to subsidize for smaller private practices to implement this. Oh, so how gee. do we get for all the fiscal folks out there? Let's say it one more time for the cheap seats. Government does want to pay for things, does need to pay for things. Oh, That's gee. True. OK. Uh, so the question is, how do we make this a universal policy that ultimately I think will make us safer, but also respects doctors and their financial needs? It's tough. It's tough that it's uh, costing here where totally it's like, will, will this go down over time? Like, do the systems get more you know, cheaper? Mm-hmm. Right. So and you really don't want to put these costs on small businesses. So I'm totally against that. And I also think that it's an increasing thing we're seeing in the medical industry where the providers end up getting squeezed. Yeah. Because, you know, I've heard. Well, and these doctors and the healthcare people, because I have a I have a lot of family members who are doctors in Mm -hmm. various capacities, 
hospitals, small practices, big practices, big cities, small towns, et cetera. And I know that like for some who are in the like small private practice field, it's near impossible. Yeah. And that's why you see so many people now going to concierge doctor because dealing with insurance is too expensive. How are we making it hard for, and this should be a whole other episode, how are we making it hard for doctors and healthcare providers to provide in a practice, you know, a small practice for a community? That's insane to me. Well, and you know what? I, I mean, I've had this discussion a lot because Billy's mom was a physician's assistant mm. and like her her practice that she worked at ended up getting bought by a venture capital fund and it like wow. totally fucked her over as an employee. And the reason that that happened was because the practice needed the investment because of Obamacare. So what's wow. interesting is that like, I think Obamacare was, a, you know, generally a good thing because it gave more people health care. But I also understand, I don't think Republicans are doing a very good job of saying what the alternative should be. But I I understand that there is, there's always a downside to everything. And it right. seems that the downside to Obamacare was, oh, we're going to make it easier for the patient. We're going to make it more accessible for the patient. But what that means is that ultimately there is a burden on some of the providers and small business owners, like you said, who are Vis-a-vis not vis the insurance companies. The insurance companies yeah. and just the operating costs because now they're stretched, you know, more thin. And I don't know how it all works. I'm not claiming to be an no. expert, but I think that this kind of falls in that category of like you want it to be good for patients. You don't want people to be getting illegal drugs or over, you know, prescriptions of opioids. At the same time, doctors need to keep their doors open. And so I would you know, I just hope that someone like Mark Wayne, who says he's as passionate about this as he is, that he takes it over the finish line. And it, is, it isn't just like, oh, we're going to put this mandate down. And I don't I think it would be very not Republican and not conservative of him to do this. Like, it's the least conservative thing to say, here's a mandate and it's going to hurt small businesses. That's like the most anti-Republican thing that you can Thanks ever do. do. Yeah. So yeah. it's it, this is an interesting issue because, like we just said, it's very bipartisan. But this particular portion of it, I find it's like a it's a place to watch because it's going to see like how do Republicans and Democrats deal with this in a way that sort of appeases all sides, which I think is going to be really hard, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, we should do note to selves. We should do an episode where we talk about healthcare. Maybe we, we should interview one of, one of your doctor family members. Oh, they would love to come on. Yeah, I bet. I mean. Your any indication, yeah. I'm sure they would love to come and talk. Coach. Also, speaking of doctors, we should wrap up because Anthony has food poisoning. Yeah, and I, <laughs> thanks for telling everyone that. Awesome. Yeah, he's mad. I'm sorry. We'll cut it. We'll. No, we will. Bye. We will. Totally. Bye. We'll totally Bye. cut it. We'll totally we love cut. you. Bye.